Broadcasting live from the Wellness Wonderland, you're listening to the Wellness Wonderland Radio. I'm Katie, and each week I chat with the most inspirational people on the planet on how to stay inspired in all areas of life. As you listen, feel free to tweet at me, at Katie Dalebout, or use the hashtag Wellness Wonderland. I'd love to hear your aha moments. So grab your headphones and listen on the go, or cuddle up with a notebook as we dive in deep with authentic conversations right here in Wonderland. Welcome back, everyone, to another week in Wonderland. Happy holidays. Happy end of 2014. Today is New Year's Eve, and tomorrow is the new year, so this will be the very last podcast of 2014. So I just, again, want to take some time to say how truly grateful I am for each and every one of you tuning into the show this week and week after week and leaving your reviews over on iTunes, telling your friends about the show, telling me that you like the show, making donations to keep the show running. You guys are awesome and I'm so grateful for the past couple years of podcasting. I have said this before and I'll say it again. This is my favorite way to communicate with you. It's my favorite way to share information. It's my favorite way to consume information. I love listening to podcasts as much as I do recording them. So it means a ton to me to be able to help bring information that inspires me to other people. So thank you for helping me to do that. And if you want more from me in 2015, leave a review over on iTunes and let me know if you haven't already what you love about the show And send a specific episode of the show that has made an impact on you over to a friend who you think would benefit from the content in it as well. If you get value from the show and you think that these episodes have helped you in your life, it would be great if you want to leave some value over at the show as well by donating to the pod. So you just go to the support the pod tab on my website and I'll leave a link below in the show notes but it's really easy it's all done just through a few clicks on PayPal so if you want to donate at different levels you can and you get different swag including an opportunity for a private chat with me to be able to pick my brain on all things Wonderland or a shout out on the show or a personal tweet all the information on that is there and also you know let me know too in the next couple weeks what you want to hear more from in Wonderland, who you want to hear from, what you want to hear more about from me. If you want more videos, if you want more podcasts, let me know and I'll see what I can cook up for you in 2015. I know it's going to be a radical, amazing, beautiful year for all of us. So on to this week's show. It's a super special one to me because I share a lot of my personal journey and where I'm at now with the things I've learned in the past few years, the past year actually, um, the work I've been doing on myself and with my clients. So I interject more so than usually 
more than I usually do, I guess, in this interview because this week I'm interviewing a friend of mine, an awesome lady I met in New York last fall who lives in California, Dr. Joy Jacobs. And you'll hear all about her and her experience in the intro I give before the episode. But basically, we have an amazing, candid conversation where we riff on everything from eating disorder recovery to spirituality and so much more. You're going to love the episode. But Like I said, you'll learn some new info about me and my story in this episode, and if you are curious about more about me, I was on another podcast this week as a guest. I was interviewed on the Simple Daily Practice podcast this week, so if you want to hear me in the hot seat, check that out. The link I'll put in the show notes for this episode, episode 61. Can you believe this is episode 61? Crazy, right? So crazy. Anyway, so yeah, if you're curious about me and my story, that's a great place to listen to me talk about it. Um, And I talk a lot about my morning routine and my practice with journaling, which is very, very important to me. So it's a great episode. Peggy is an awesome host, and you'll love it. You'll love the podcast. You should check that out as well. Um, That's all I've got for you announcements-wise this week, other than that I want to tell you have the happiest happiest of new years and I will see you in the new year 2015 it's going to be such an amazing one for all of us in wonderland I am so excited for everything to come enjoy the episode and happy new year I am really excited for today's conversation because someone that I know and have met in person and is just an amazing, amazing wealth of information is here to discuss some really important topics with us. So Dr. Joy Jacobs is far from the traditional psychotherapist and particularly she's specializing in eating disorders, weight management, and obesity. And she even went to law school and practiced law for a second and was an editor at Vogue. And then she followed her true passion of serving others and helping women improve their lives. So like I said, Dr. Joy is a clinical psychologist, an assistant professor, And she is also a published author, so she's a really groovy lady, and she's appeared on the Today Show and lots of big media outlets, and she is really, really awesome in the work she's done and and known internationally for, for what she does. So really, really grateful that you've stopped by here in Wonderland today, Joy. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. And I could say as many nice things about you, but I guess it's not about you today. But I I just love your podcast. I have learned so much from it. I've discovered new people that I didn't know through you. And you've just done a fantastic job um, with the Wellness Wonderland. And I'm just really grateful to be part of it. Mm, that means the world to me. Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, I think I really appreciate you saying that. And I think it's a good opportunity to just to say that about the show for a second to everyone listening that, you know, I have this great role of being able to be a curator and really shine the light on people doing great things in the world. And sometimes the people listening know exactly who they are and they're really excited to hear my conversation with them. Or it's someone, you know, maybe that they don't know that they end up becoming obsessed with because they are so knowledgeable and we have a great conversation on here. So, 
I'm just super excited that you're here, Joy, because I think that you're awesome. And I know we have so much to share together here. Um, when we met in New York this fall, last fall, um, when we talked about doing this episode, I've been really excited for this conversation because I think our stories mirror each other in so many different ways and, um, you know, and also contrast in other ways. But I think the common thread here is that we are doing work to empower people and to make people's lives better. So with that, I would love to zoom the lens back and hear your story and let everyone else know your story and how you came to this work and how you decided to go ahead and follow your passion. Great. Well, you know, the story has a lot of different th- different threads and You've kind of scooped everyone once again, once again, Miss Katie, because I've never actually told my full story in public before. Um, to backtrack a little, um, as a therapist, you're supposed to be very. The, the traditional training is that you're very like a veil. You're very your patients don't know anything about you. They shouldn't know if you have kids, if you're married, if you've nothing about you. Because the idea is is the interaction in therapy should be about your client, not about you. And mm. that part of it I agree with. But um, in working with eating disorders, I come from it um, having had experience with eating disorders myself, eating disorders in my family, um, not for just one generation, but more than one generation. But I had to take a very roundabout way to find this path. I had to go through a lot of healing myself. I spent most of my childhood and adolescence and young adulthood um, looking for outward recognition, trying to get the best grades, jump through hoops to get accolades from family, from friends, all that kind of external validation. And that led me on a path of being extremely perfectionistic, obsessed with schoolwork and getting the best grades, getting into the best college. And through that process, I also come from a family of lawyers. I ended up at Harvard Law School, which was my father's dream. And it seemed like, okay, everything is fitting together. I'm getting what I want. I'm guaranteed success in life. I've now you know, reached this milestone. And I got there, and within the first two weeks, I realized that I had no business being in law school, that I had no interest in law and no desire to be a lawyer. Um, but I, part of me wanted to drop out and leave. And there was another part of me that was scared that if I left, it would mean that I was a quitter, that I didn't have what it took to make it through. I had all these old stories about why I couldn't leave. And so I stayed there for three years and it was the most miserable three years you could imagine. I did meet some amazing friends that I still have to this day, and I feel like almost for those friends, was it worth it? But I learned so much about myself in those three years. And throughout those three years, I had had an eating disorder that I had anorexia for the first time when I was 10 years old. Um, I was very interested in ballet, and I did not have the body of a ballerina. I was a very... Um, I wouldn't say chubby, but my mother called me big boned. I didn't have the ballet body. And I went on my first diet and became anorexic and kind of cured myself um, within a year because I didn't want to live that like that anymore. I had a relapse when I was 17. 
And then from the ages of 17 to about 24, I was in and out of various permutations of disordered eating. And it really, really flared up and went to a new level when I was in law school because all of a sudden I was in a state of almost constant misery, not pursuing my passion in life, living out everyone else's dreams and not sure what my own were. Um, So I ended up going to New York, working at a big law firm, and within two weeks there, I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I wrote my resignation letter and I literally walked out the door. I had thought that I would go to a law firm and kind of quote unquote figure out what I really wanted to do with my life. But the first week I was there, I went to the office on a Friday and I went home again on a Monday, which meant I was literally working round the clock for three days. Oh didn't my god. Go home. And I was like, if I can't sleep, if I can't take care of myself, there's absolutely yeah. no way I'm gonna figure out what I wanna do. So I didn't I got to the point where I was like, I need to save my own life. I need to leave this place and I need to start living for me. And at that moment, I entered in recovery for my eating disorder, like a real recovery where I found a great therapist. I found the best nutritionist on earth who I totally trusted. She was the first person who, like, if she told me, I didn't know how to feed myself anymore. You know, I was 24 years old but had not eaten like a normal person in a, probably a decade. Yeah. And so I had no idea what to eat, when to eat, how much to eat, and it felt like utter chaos. And she made me feel safe enough. It was Joy Bauer, who's now oh my gosh. a Today Show nutritionist. She's not in private practice anymore, but she literally saved She's my life. She's so cute. I, I've like loved her since for years. <laughs> And literally the moment I walked into her office, I basically knew I could trust her. I turned it over to her and I did exactly what she told me to do. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of opened my eyes to a whole nother world and to really start to be able to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And then I revisited my initial decision, um, thinking about law school when I was in college and at that moment I had wanted to pursue a PhD in psychology but I was like well that's a 10-year path versus a three-year path in law and I'll make a lot more money as a lawyer well I decided that I really did want to be a psychologist but I also knew I needed a break from school so I decided to work I was an English major in college and I decided to use my writing skills and my love of reading and I worked in publishing And I'd always loved fashion, and eventually I made my way to Vogue and worked as an editor there. And it, you know, The Devil Wears Prada is a very minor (laughs) illustration of what Mm -hmm. it was really like. But it it was fantastic in so many ways, and it also allowed me to explore my interest in the role of health, culture, fashion, and eating disorders, and how that all fits together, and to see what's really happening on the inside. And so um, after a period of time, I did that, and I still wanted to do more. I still knew I wanted to be a psychologist, so I, I applied to graduate school. But before I had to do that, I had to take I had to go back and take undergraduate statistics and abnormal psychology and all this stuff. You know, I had a, a law degree, a very high-paying job, and all of a sudden I'm sitting in undergraduate statistics again. I never would have imagined it, but it was fun because I knew I was finally on my path 
And that's how it all got started. And then I applied to graduate schools and I applied to places where they had specialties in eating disorders and obesity because I felt like, you know, having been through the journey that I had been through and seen other journeys of other family members that I wanted to give back and I could really understand who my clients were and where they were coming from and how much fear there is around eating and body and body image but also that there's hope and that you can you can heal, you can recover and you can move on to live a great life. Wow, that's such a beautiful story. Thank you so much for sharing all of that and you know, you've probably heard me say this in previous episodes and I feel like I quote Steve Jobs all the time with this quote, but he has that great quote that you can't connect the dots moving forward, you can only do so looking back. And I think this show, that should be like the name of this podcast basically because every person who comes on, when they tell their story, they would have never thought that, you know, the path would have looked the way that it looked, but it did all for a reason to lead them to the amazing work that they're doing. So myself included. So thank you so much for sharing all of that as the people who are listening and have been here for a while know that's very similar to my story and and as you know joy Mm -hmm. so i'd like to get into this a little bit um my belief system now is that most people most women for sure have some sort of issue with food in their bodies and i i believe that this I I feel the work that I'm doing in this world and the work that you're doing in this world is to shift that. However, I would love to know if you see that shifting in this lifetime and um, if you see it shifting in in general. Well, it's a great question, Katie. I think that it is already starting to shift in a lot of areas. I mean, you know, there are a lot of young women, when I say young, I guess I'm saying younger than me, about your age. I'm in my 40s, early 40s. And, you know, women that I see in their late teens, 20s and 30s, really lobbying against these ideals that are kind of so out of touch, even with reality. And I, you know, I got to see the photoshopping firsthand at Vogue, and it was a common occurrence. And now there's a movement against that, you know, that was about 15 years ago. And now magazines have made statements that we will not photoshop, or if we do photoshop, we're going to tell you not every magazine is doing that. But there is a shift in the cultural conversation. That said, I have to say I'm pretty alarmed at how the culture of dieting is getting indoctrinated in homes. Parents don't even know necessarily the impact of what they're saying on their kids, but I literally have worked with eight-year-old boys and girls who have full-blown orthorexia, anorexia, fear of carbs, all these ideas about food and dieting that are already ingrained in them. Kids that won't eat their own birthday cake, that are so aware, more aware even of their parents of calories, fat, exercise. And so I think, you know, on one level things are improving, but I also see that these messages are more pervasive. And unfortunately, the problem with the public health campaigns for obesity 
are that typically the people listening to those messages are not the people that need to be listening. Yes. And so these messages are working at cross purposes, and that's where there needs to be a unified discussion. And within the field of eating disorders and obesity, I'm a rare person that works at all ends of the spectrum. People, the professionals, often identify themselves and the researchers either as researching obesity or researching eating disorders. And it's almost like they're two different fields. But I feel that eating, all kinds of eating, whatever you want to call it, is on a spectrum. Yes. And there are a lot of cases of obesity that are a result of disordered eating. There are also a lot that are not. And so it just, it it really requires a nuanced approach. But I wouldn't be doing this work if I felt there was no hope for the future. So I think there is hope. But it requires you know, podcasts like this, articles, big cultural discussions about how we want to live our lives. And if you look at other parts of the world, the rise of eating disorders has occurred with the westernization of different cultures. But there are still pockets in Europe and all over the world where people are allowed to enjoy their food. It's part of their culture. It's part of their socialization. It's a way to connect with each other, to eat something that's grown locally and fresh from the earth. And it's not about just how many calories did I eat and how fast did I eat it and how am I going to burn it off. And I think that's what we need to get back to. Yes. Yes, preach 100%. I mean, I think there's such there's so much work to be done. It can be daunting, but it also inspires me to keep going. And you know, that that story you shared about the kids, I mean, it's moving. And I think that that the issue I believe here is as the fad and the trend of health and wellness which, you know, I've been on myself. I mean, I'm a trailblazer of myself. My blog is called The Wellness Wonderland. And it's, it's that phrase has transitioned as, as I've transitioned. However, I think that orthorexia becomes more prevalent as that fad increases. And I think, you know, being healthy and high-vibe foods and exercising, all of that is well and good. However, young, impressionable people getting obsessed with that, like myself, that was my story, you know, it's a slippery, slippery slope. And I think that that orthorexia mentality is so easy to fall into. And I know I recently, my friend um, is a dietitian who, who specializes in eating disorders, Christy Harrison, who I had on a couple episodes ago, said that orthorexia is the largest growing eating disorder right now and I would love it if you could talk a little bit about that particular um and I don't I think she said and you would probably know this as well that it's not technically clinicalized at this point but she sees that changing and so I'd love to know in your practice is that the most um, prevalent type of mental eating disorder that you deal with or um is it really across the board You know, I see it more and more, and I often see it um, with especially those younger kids that I'm telling you about where their parents see that they're on the path to developing anorexia because it starts out with really an obsession with healthy eating. 
And with the adults, it's often orthorexia is often the transition out of anorexia or bulimia where people are willing to eat again, but it's only if they're the perfect, healthiest, best foods. And it becomes, you know, they feel like hostages in the orthorexia in the same way that they were with the anorexia. They might be eating more calories, but they still can't go out to dinner. They can't go to a sporting event or a concert or on a trip because they feel so imprisoned by their eating patterns. And so... It is interesting that orthorexia, it's not considered an official eating disorder. There's something called the DSM, which yes, is... Yes, that's what Christy was saying. Right, which is a, a book that psychiatrists and psychologists and doctors use to diagnose people. And so this is where you know Western medicine is extremely limited because everyone needs to fit into a neat little box. And so Western medicine hasn't created that neat little box for orthorexia yet, but clinically it's very prevalent and people often do not seek help for it until they've had a lot of consequences for it. And sometimes the health consequences can be pretty severe and significant because, you know, as you know, if you're only eating certain kinds of foods that you deem to be healthy and you're excluding other foods that you deem not to be healthy, um, your body can start to break down. Like one of the myths for years and years was that fat makes you fat. Now we know that healthy fats are really important for the functioning of your immune system, for regenerating cells, for the functioning of your nervous system, your endocrine system, your entire body. So if someone's eating only green juices, kale, and you know that kind of diet and not getting enough healthy fats they can start to break down physically pretty quickly so oftentimes it takes either someone having a physical experience related to the orthorexia or having family members say like I'm going to divorce you if you continue eating this way or you're setting a bad example for your kids by eating too healthy or the parents looking at you know teenage sons and daughters and saying they they refuse to they can't go to a restaurant anymore because there's nothing there that they're willing to order yeah it can be extremely isolating that sort of lifestyle and that's not healthy and I've said it on the show a million times but I my rule of thumb now um was not always the case but if it's going to stress you out not to eat something, if you're going to feel deprived, it's better to eat it because that stress for you is worse than the sugar, than the gluten, than the meat, than the whatever it is because that feeling of deprivation is just silly. And pleasure is really important when we eat. We only have so many sensationary pleasures. And um, and I think, and I think you would agree, Joy, that joy – joy and pleasure is very important with with food and and just generally in life so could you talk about that a little bit and why pleasure when we eat is important and how you convey that to your clients and people you work with yes um i mean it's it's everything because we are sensory beings and there are you know we need our five senses to experience the world um and i think it's interesting because I am a student of A Course in Miracles as well, and there's a whole section of A Course in Miracles when it talks about how we are not our physical body. Yes. 
that we cannot fully rely on our senses, um, how there is the world that we think is real and the world that is really real. And we won't go along that direction now. That would be a little off track. But I say that because, you know, whether we think it's real or not, our sense of taste is one of our ways of experiencing our world. And it should be pleasurable. And unfortunately, especially women and girls have been taught that it's not okay to experience pleasure, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're experiencing pleasure in your food, you've somehow violated a rule, a rule of the culture that says that you only should eat to live and that you need to be a certain weight and you need to look a certain way and you need to eat certain foods. And that takes so much of the pleasure out of eating. Um, so I think that it requires for people who've lost the pleasure in eating, it takes a lot of work to regain it, but it's fully possible. And a large percentage of my practice, especially at this time of year, it being holiday time, I get a lot of calls from people who struggle with binge eating, with compulsive eating, with feeling addicted to food. And what happens is, is people get that initial pleasure from eating and they try to get more of it and they start eating compulsively and what they find is it's not bringing them more pleasure. After a certain point, the pleasure is gone and it just becomes a way of numbing out an addictive kind of behavior. But actually the number one thing, the first thing that I do with anyone who walks into my office and has a binge eating or compulsive eating problem is I make them commit to stop dieting because it's this cycle of deprivation that builds up that contributes to people becoming binge eaters. It's not like someone wakes up one day and out of the blue they start binging. Typically there's a long-standing pattern of restriction going on multiple diets multiple weight loss efforts before the binge eating begins. Yeah, it's like that sense of got to get it in now because tomorrow it's off limits again. Exactly, exactly. Like I'm going to start all over tomorrow. I'm never going to eat a brownie again. This is my last time to ever eat a brownie, so I'm going to eat the whole tray. And that is the mentality that occurs. And in among very even self-aware, intelligent people – this, the rules about eating and, and with food have nothing to do with intelligence on any level. It's just about these human instincts that drive us. And the idea, it's almost evolutionary that we need to store up because tomorrow the starvation begins. So when we intervene in that cycle, when there's no prospect of starvation, it makes a big impact. But people are so fearful of doing that because they really think that that diet that they're going to begin tomorrow is the answer to all the problems in their life. Yeah, that's powerful and and spot on. And I think that, like you said, you know, dieting is what contributes counterintuitively to binge eating, to emotional eating, to, you know, abusing yourself with food. And, you know, I, I know we both really believe this, but it's the fact that when you're overeating or when you're not eating, when you're denying yourself food and you're denying yourself pleasure, when you're numbing out with food, whatever, it's all the same, you're denying yourself a feeling you don't want to feel, 
right? So I think that, you know, with dieting, it's it's very easy for us to fall into that with our culture, our very, very, very and growing at a rapid rate diet culture that we all live in here, especially in the United States. And I, I think elsewhere, but I can I can speak for the United States, diet culture is extremely prevalent. It's hard to walk into a room and not have someone making a comment about their body or their body image or their weight or what they ate that day, right? So I think it's very hard to avoid and very easy to fall into. And I think a reason that it's so easy to fall into is body image. So I would love it if you could talk about body image as the root of really all of these issues, right? All of these these problems really kind of, I think, stem from there. And I'd love to hear about the interplay between culture and body image and, and eating habits. Yeah, and that is, you know, that's really the million-dollar question, Katie, because it does all come down to body image. And body image is one of the last pieces to really improve when someone's experienced an eating disorder of whatever variety Body image continues to be a struggle for a lot of people, some people for life, some people get through it, but it's it takes a lot of willingness to want to get through it, if you know what I'm saying. Yes, I do, firsthand. You know, everything that, that you look at in our culture, less so now, but for people who are looking with the filter of looking for the skinny body ideal, that's what they're going to see when they look in mainstream media, when they turn on the TV. There still is not a big acceptance of a variety of body types. And so I think that's where it comes down to really going internal and diving deep in your soul and wanting, you know, really exploring what do you want to be remembered for? Mm-hmm. Is it really going to be that you want to re- be remembered by everyone that you wore the size zero jeans? Or is it about who you are, what you, what you represent, how you lived your life, how you loved others, how you loved yourself, and what that did to serve others? And that's what I really try to bring it back to with my clients is like, how do you want to be known? How do you want to feel? How do you want to be remembered? And really is, are those genes worth it? Is it worth sacrificing everything else for that? And, you know, most people, when you ask them that question, recognize that they do want something more from their life. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in my office. Um, But it's an uphill battle. And it's something where, I mean, I advise to clients sometimes when they're in the early stages of, of treatment and are working together, like, do not read magazines, like cancel your subscriptions, turn off the TV, start paying attention to the variety of body types, even among your closest friends and family. Think of the people that you love most and that you feel best around. Does it have to do with them looking a certain way or being a certain size? And 99% of the time, it has nothing to do with any of that. You know, it's that Maya Angela quote, people don't remember what you yeah. said or how you look, which is what I'm going to add. They remember how you made them feel. And oftentimes, when someone's had an eating disorder, particularly if it's been for a long period of time, they have tremendous social anxiety. They may use, 
be used to relating to the world through their physicality, whether it's being extremely thin, whether it's used to being heavy, whether it's numbing out and not having to interact and isolating with food. And so these issues can sometimes get worse before they get better. But, you know, I think it's, it's, people will always be at a risk for relapsing if they don't work through this issue because it is that trigger, Katie. Just like you mentioned, it does not go away. No matter what you do individually, at this point in our evolution as a culture, it's not going away anytime soon. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. And I, I really am grateful that you said all of that. And I want to actually latch on and highlight a couple of things that you said. This is becoming a a very serious conversation um, and probably one of the most serious podcasts that I've done, but I've been really on a mission healing myself with all of this and, and working with lots of people. So I, I really have this strong intuition that this particular podcast can can and will and is when people are listening to this in real time, helping a lot of people. So I want to highlight a couple of things. And, and one of them is what you said there is what do you want to be remembered for? And I recently wrote in an article, um, you know, our our bodies are not our piece of art, right? They're not our masterpiece. Our life is. So if you spend your life trying to mold your body and control your body to look a certain way, you know, that's one way to live, but it's not a very happy one. It's not a very healthy one. And if you can take the time, I know for myself, if I had put all the time I was spending obsessing over ingredients and what I was going to eat next and what I ate earlier and what I'd eat tomorrow and how my clothes were fitting and what my body looked like. If I took all of that mental bandwidth and put it towards a business or you know, a book or something really amazing, I could change the world. And so that's what I decided to do. And you know, that's a powerful place to be. But at the same time, you know, this body image stuff still would come up. You know, you can change your eating habits, you can eat enough calories, you can do all that, but if you're still judging yourself, you still have body image stuff to work through. And like like Joy said, you know, that's the last thing to go. And I think that the big issue here is, you know, really having the willingness to listen to this podcast, step into Joy's office, you know, give her a call and work with her or, you know, another person doing this work, you know, near you. But I think that willingness is the only way that change can occur. And, you know, especially with that body image stuff, like you said, you know, when you're really in the hot spot of trying to to fix this and you've really been, you know, obsessed with healthy eating or obsessed with raw food or obsessed with paleo or whatever it is, right? When you're really into that world, you almost have to go through it like a mourning period. Like you have to come up with new hobbies because you've been so obsessed with your You identify with that. So I think that that's really, really important. Um, and I think the, the other issue here is that, you know, when it comes to body image, my mentor, Isabel Fox and Duke, says that the only proven way to mend body image right now is exposure therapy. And something that she had me do is to look at bodies, look at photos of bodies, my size or bigger, right? So 
looking at plus size models. Now I follow amazing plus size models on Instagram or just, you know, noticing the good in people's bodies, noticing the beauty in people's bodies. So then when you start to see it in other people, it's easier to see it in other people than it is to see it in yourself. And the more you start to see it in other people, the more you'll intuitively start to do it in yourself. So anyways, I just wanted to to highlight that. So thank you so much for for all you shared around um around that joy i think again this is going to help a lot of people and i have to say um i'm really excited about the work that isabel is doing she is a revolutionary and the work that she's doing and others you know along those lines that gives me hope that we can shape a different future if we can raise enough voices to help people understand that they do not need to live in this prison to be a happy person, I think there is hope. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I, I, I have chills right now, Joy, and I, I'm like almost tearing up a little bit because I I feel like this is the most powerful conversation I've, I've had yet on, on the podcast just because I am in such a space where I feel so strongly about being a revolutionary in this world and about really changing the perceptions around these things that you know really being able to go here and kind of you know put in my input here I really appreciate you allowing me to do yeah and I I agree I think the work that you and Isabel and you know all the people who are willing to talk about what's going on with this are really brave and really needed because it's so countercultural, unfortunately right now and I think for us to stand up and discuss this and to really shed light on these things that aren't being talked about is really, really powerful. So this conversation is just really giving me, giving me chills. So thank you. And me too. And I, I just want to applaud your bravery for, for going through the fire. It's like, you know, you have to go through the tunnel to get to the light at the end of the tunnel and to challenge your own perceptions about body image, to challenge your own beliefs about what is beautiful, it requires, I mean, you go through a period of almost complete disorientation in a way while it's happening because it shakes up every assumption that you were living your life based on and it takes you to the next level and it's so worth it, but it's not easy. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I've seen that, you know, with the work with my Of course, you know, the people who are attracted to coach with me are people who have, you know, the same issues like attracts like. And I see it with them. I see it with friends. I see it with, you know, all of us that, you know, these issues, they they start with being about the food. But at the end of the day, it's more life coaching and it's more therapy that people need, you know, because these issues, like I said, they're not about the food. They're about these deeper issues in our lives that we can't control and we the things that we can't control freak us out so we try to control something we think we can control which is our body you know which is our size which you know and this is a whole other conversation which maybe I can get into in another podcast but I believe we don't have that much control over that either however you know we think we do so we try to control that because we can't control these other really scary things happening in our lives so for joy for instance you know you said when you were in law school and when you were going through some really turbulent times in your personal life, your eating disorders got to be heightened. And that was the same in my case too. You know, when you're in life transitions, when you when things in your life are uncontrollable, you go hard and strong controlling this aspect of your life you think you can control. 
So, you know, the that feeling of not being in control is why spirituality exists. It's why religion exists. It's why community exists. To There's so much in life that we can't control that we have developed these ways to cope, right? And spirituality is one of them. And Joy and I both are students of spirituality and, of course, miracles and metaphysics. And it's, you know, I would say crucial in the healing of all of this. And so, Joy, I'd love if you could speak a little bit about the role of spirituality in all of this. Right. And that's where um, I think if you can find you, meaning people who are listening right now, oftentimes people have no spiritual practice at all. And particularly if they've had years and years of an eating disorder, they might even believe that God is dead. But I think that that's the missing piece in so much of the recovery process and why people kind of fall off the wagon because they are relying on their own strength. Yes. Your own strength can only take you so far. And then you need the strength of a higher power, others, the people who love you, um, trusting the process of life. I don't know. You don't need to call it God. You can call it whatever you want, but there has to be something bigger than you. And there has to be something bigger than you that you're doing it for that gets you to the other side. And that's where, you know, if people think that they're going to find their ultimate pleasure in life in that next cookie or brownie, they're not going to find it. And it's almost impossible to ever feel full feel full and complete inside without something bigger and more that's sustaining you, whether it's your purpose to serve others, whether it's to be a great mom someday, whether it's to be the best friend for your friends, to be a good daughter, whatever it is, there's got to be that something more that pulls you through because otherwise, you know, what is the point? And people can get into some really existential binds in some ways and going through this process and people have find different pathways to their recovery but the spirit's got to be part of it because ultimately that's what we are and really no food is going to be the answer and no body size is going to be the answer to all our problems but if you can turn it over to spirit to something to the universe to something more and bigger than you that's where you can start to find peace. And it's something that you need to develop. For each person, it looks different. For some people, it might be going to a, you know, a religious place, a church or a synagogue or a temple. To other people, it might be studying A Course in Miracles, to becoming a Buddhist, to doing yoga. For some people, it might be walking in nature. Everyone has a different idea and a different experience of when their spirit comes alive. And I think that we all know it when we feel it. And we need to seek out more of those experiences and know that actually seeking out those experiences is not a sign of weakness, but a sign of strength, a sign of understanding that there's more to this universe than just us and really embracing it. Yeah. Yeah, our our mentor, our guru, our friend Gabby Bernstein says, you know, developing a spiritual connection of your own understanding. And I think, Joy, you just highlighted that beautifully. And, you know, I'll get really real with you guys right now. And I'll say that my eating disorder, my body image stuff couldn't really heal until I stopped making it about me, right? When I, the 
biggest way for me, the biggest motivation to heal myself was to be able to help other people, right? The biggest motivation for me to be like, I got to clean this stuff up because I have work to do here and there's a lot of people looking to me. I've got to clean up my own shit so I can get past this, move through this and be the light, be the example. And there's no greater motivation than to be an activist, right? Than to be passionate about anything, you know? And, and, and I'm not saying that, to, you know, anyone who has these issues needs to teach and needs to preach and needs to, like, be out there sharing their story and, and certainly not right away. However, you know, finding a passion and excitement about something else unrelated even or, you know, related in a new way, whatever, is really powerful and helpful. Would you agree with that too, Joy? 100%. And, you know, one special kind of therapy I do um, when a young child has an eating disorder is the therapy really involves training the parents and training them in how to refeed their child. Basically, retraining them in something they are they always knew, but the eating disorder has disempowered them. Mm-hmm. And so, what I tell the parents, because as parents, it's among the worst thing that you can experience is trying to get your child to eat. They won't eat. They're having huge tantrums. They're throwing food all over the house. They're threatening to kill themselves, and they're wasting away. And what I tell these parents is, you know what, someday you're going to be able to share this experience and how you got through it with another parent. And that is going to get you to the other side of it because you are going to be a beacon of light for someone else someday, whether it's formally or informally going through the experience and actually getting to the other side allows you to be that source of light for others. And so like you said, Katie, it's like, you know, at some point you are going to serve in some way through this healing journey and that can help you get to the other side. Oh, joy. I mean, these stories that you're just kind of sprinkling in here about the work that you do are just hitting me so strongly. You know, I feel it like right in like my, I'm pointing right now, like people can see me, but in my like gut area where I really feel things of like, wow, you know, these, that must be so difficult for the parents. And I I know how how that feels, you know. It's really an interesting experience because like we had said before, you know, when people aren't willing, it's very, very difficult to help them. And when that's the case with with children especially, I can only imagine what that must be like to, to be the parents because I've seen that in friends and people I know who are very clearly having disordered relationships with food and their bodies, but they don't see it in themselves. And you want to help them. You want to tell your story and you, you try, but you can't force. Have you found that in your work and, um, you know, especially when, when kids come into your office that maybe don't want to be there, don't have the willingness, but someone else got them into your office? Like, how do you handle that, Joy? And that must just be so difficult for you. What is, what do you kind of, how do you navigate that? Well, the miracle, and it is a miracle, is that a treatment in the past 10 to 15 years for kids has been developed, which is all about training the parents to refeed their child. Basically, what would happen at an inpatient unit in a hospital 
happens at home. The child gets to stay at home and gets to go to school and be have the comforts of home, but the parents have to do the quote-unquote dirty work. But you know what? They're the best people to be doing it because no one is going to care about your child more than you do. No one is going to be there to hug them like you can. And no one, no one is going to do the, no one will do the dirty work for you. So it's almost a gift when it's a child because as a parent, you still do have enough authority and control that you can help your child. And you, you, the kids thank me and they thank their parents later because they see that it literally saved their lives, that they were in a position where they could not feed themselves anymore and the burden is taken from their shoulders. They don't need to choose what to eat, when and how much anymore. It's taken care of. But the initial resistance is tremendous. You can imagine if your parents had swooped in at the height of your eating disorder and said, okay, Katie, a new regime starts today. You're going to get up this morning and you're going to have bacon and eggs and a bagel with cream cheese with chocolate. Oh my gosh, yeah. Right? But that's what it can look like. And so I train the parents on how to do this, how to deal with it. We set up a plan of contingencies to help them kind of motivate the kid to comply. It's easier when it's children, but if it's someone who no longer lives with parents or has someone who has that kind of control over them, which most of us don't, it's very difficult because recovery is such a challenge and you have to want it on some level. And People experience so much ambivalence as they go through this. They might want it one minute, but then, you know, that hamburger's in front of them that they're supposed to eat, and all of a sudden, they just want to go back to the kale, right? So it's very difficult to to do this when you don't have parents who can do it for you, when you're more grown up and older, and your mind starts to become a barrier. It starts to counter-argue all these reasons why you should just stick with what you've been doing, which has gotten you where you don't want to be. But your mind can play amazing tricks on you to keep you in unhealthy behavior. And so that's why a great coach, a great therapist, a great nutritionist, really supportive friends and family help so much. But ultimately, You've got to be the one to do it and got to be the one to want it. And you might fail several times before you succeed. But that, you know, that's what they say about success in life. It's not about who doesn't fail. It's who gets up again. And you just have to keep trying. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And, And I'm so grateful that you are here doing this work that you do. And I know that, you know, it's, it's difficult. It's very real. It's very intense. And, you know, I'd love to know, how do you protect yourself, right? How do you, you work in these very, very real situations? And, and I know what that's like, because I've been there and I've, you know, seen other people who are there and have been there as well. And it's really real. It's really, tough, right? A lot of these situations are really, really tough. So how do you protect yourself and reintegrate yourself into your life and not, you know, relapse yourself or not pick up too much of that energy when you're working in these intense situations? You know, it's interesting, like you say, how do you protect yourself from relapse? So many of these things can be tremendously triggering if you're not far enough in your recovery process. And so for me, if I ever am feeling 
triggered by something that's coming from one of my clients, it just shows an area of me that needs to be healed. Um, and on a very practical level, I always try to make sure to schedule adequate, adequate breaks throughout the day or if I know that certain kinds of, of clients are you know really in a bad place, I make sure to kind of set my schedule so that I have breaks and I have time to kind of recharge my own battery because it's really important that I be fully present for everyone that I work with. And so I think it's a... I think it's a mistake to think that success is having as many clients as possible from morning to night, you know, five to seven days a week, because you can't, at least I can't really give people my all at that kind of pace. So I really try to be very particular about who I work with because I want to give them 100%. And I need to work with someone that feels like, they want to be there. A lot of times people come for reasons that are not their own, like you mentioned. And so um, I think it's just very important to be super aware. And I think it's very important. I have a very strong meditation practice that keeps me grounded. I have two children who keep me very back in the real world. But you have to be very vigilant about setting boundaries and understanding that just because someone does not recover that you've worked with, it doesn't mean that you've done a bad job. It, they're just at a different place in their journey. And so you cannot, I, I feel like you can't take ownership of the successes or the failures. You know, people are in different places at different stages of readiness. And so, it really is a journey that you walk hand in hand with your client and you're there for them no matter what. And to have that reliable presence is, is just really key. And for me, knowing that I'm doing that gives me such a sense of peace to know that I'm on purpose in my life when I'm on a course where I'm serving so that it, it doesn't feel draining, even though it can be it doesn't overall drain me. It actually inspires me to do more, to give more, to help more. Mm, beautiful. I love that. So I want to ask a really important question, um, which I feel like a lot of people listening might fall into this category, which is those people who, you know, maybe they're listening and they're hearing us talk about this kind of thing. And maybe at the beginning they were like, Oh no, 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 that's, that's not me. Like I really like kale, but like, I'm, I'm good. I, I got this together. I'm fine. But then maybe as they were listening, they thought, you know, wait, maybe I do have some of these habits or just some of the tendencies that lean on that spectrum of orthorexic or anorexic even. So, you know, I think like we had said before too, you know, eating disordered or a disordered relationship with food is first of all very common and many people listening probably do have it if you're attractive attracted to this work, it's it's highly likely. And what are some some things that people who, you know, again, maybe it's not a full-blown clinical disorder, but they have some habits that aren't healthy, that aren't serving them. They have some thoughts about their body that aren't positive. They have some some thoughts about their food and their eating habits that aren't positive. Maybe some guilt after they eat something or some shame or some self-judgment that is just unhealthy and disordered. 
what are some practical steps that we can give people to heal that and to have the willingness to heal that? So I think the most important thing is to be an observer of yourself, right? You've got to become more aware. And I know you're a big journaler, and I think journaling can be a really powerful tool at the beginning of this process because you can start to you know, write down just for yourself. No one else has to see it. How are you feeling limited by this? What is happening in your life that is not on course, that it's not where you want it to be going? How is it impacting you? And it's just between you and yourself. It's for no one else's eyes. And it starts to give you some ideas like, okay, maybe this is limiting me more than I thought, or maybe this is a problem. And the amazing thing about the internet and what you're doing and all these amazing blogs is there are so many online resources now to get ideas for different strategies depending on your situation that might help you improve. But I think it always is great to seek out, you know, a coach, a psychologist, a therapist, even a friend to start talking to and share your ideas, share your concerns with, come up with alternatives. We were not to meant we were not meant to be in this world alone. No. You know, there are billions of us on this planet and we're here to be here for each other. And so I encourage people to reach out even when it feels scary because that fear, it's just fear. It's not real. I tell my clients, fear is false evidence appearing real. Yes. It's not real. And when you can walk through that, you see how much beauty there is in the world, how great life can be. You start to feel grateful for every little thing, but you've got to, got to kind of walk through the fear. There's no way around it. You just have to ignore it on some level and do it anyway. It's like that exposure therapy that you're talking about with Isabel. You've got to expose yourself to what you're afraid of. Yeah, I'll, and that's scary. Here, it yes. is. Yeah, and I, I want – I just have to interrupt you on that one level. Like for people that that idea is new, like – when I first started doing that, I was like, ooh, gross. Like, mm, that that girl, I can't even, ooh, like, I don't want to look like that. That's scary. I don't want to look like that, right? And you look at these bodies and you don't think they're beautiful. You don't think that they're what you want to look like. But that doesn't matter. That's that's fear. That, that has nothing to do with it. It's just looking at it. Even if you think it's the ugliest person you've ever seen or that that body is nothing like what you would ever want, that doesn't matter. Just looking at it simply for the reason to see something different. Because all day long, you're seeing through the media, through Instagram, through the blogs you're following, a different type of body, a small type of body, a, you know, a type of body that is what our society right now has as the ideal. So I just wanted to add that in there. But right. I love what you're saying about looking at the fear and doing it anyways. And Katie, your point is exactly right. They're all just projections. Everything that we see is just a projection of something based of an idea that we have. And the beauty is that ideas can be changed. Yeah. Yeah. That's that was such amazing advice. And I wanna jump back to the the journaling piece there and just just say my story with that and as most people know listening my my book is about journaling because I feel so strongly that journaling is the first step to healing this and 
you know, and maybe anything that you're that you're going through, if it's a different type of addiction or if it's a different, you know, issue, I, I would say that it's definitely helpful for those two. However, my story is with this and I can testify to this. And I would say that, you know, getting honest with yourself is the first step. And really saying to yourself what you actually want, what you desire, writing that down, claiming that, and what you're actually feeling, like really allowing yourself to be worthy enough to feel your feelings was the first step for me. And my journal was the way for me to do that. And then I was able to seek help. Then I was able to get the support, you know. So I think, you know, if I... To just highlight what Joyce said there, I think, you know, the first step is to get honest with your journal. The second step is to find resources online. And the, the third step is to find that community, whether it's working with me, working with Joy, working with other people who resonate with you. You know, I've had so many people on this podcast who are there for you and can help you. Um, Joy being one of them. And um, I think, you know, reaching out to those people, like, again, just like you said, like, we're not meant to go through this alone. And I don't think we really can heal it alone, or it's probably very rare. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. Oh, my pleasure, Katie. It's been quite the intense discussion, and I really hope that people will take away from it what they needed to hear and what little morsels resonate and um, and just try to make those changes, even if little baby steps are miraculous. Yeah, absolutely. And before we wrap up here, I want to ask some personal questions and some quickfire questions to you, Joy. So the first thing I want to know is, what is your favorite part of what you do and how you've designed your life? My favorite part is letters I get from people that I worked with five years ago mm-hmm. telling me how awesome they're doing. Boys that were anorexic that write me who are now full scholarship athletes at their universities with girlfriends and straight A's and doing fantastically. People who just tell me like how their lives have changed for the better by really following through on the work that we did together. And it was their work. It wasn't my work. Um, but it gives me such joy. And I, it's like the first thing that I tell my client when they come in my office is my goal is to have you out of here as quickly as possible. Yeah. Cause that means you're back fully in your life, but entirely changed. Mm, that's so beautiful. So can you walk us through, again, you, you mentioned your meditation practice. You mentioned protecting yourself, protecting your energy. Could you walk us through your morning routines and some of the specifics of starting your day and why that's important for how the rest of your day goes so you can show up fully for those people who really need you? Sure. You know, for me, I like to get up early. That's the only protected time I have in the day. Like I said, I have two small children and that's become more and more important, um, getting up early to kind of get a jump start on everyone else in the house. And I get up and I have a prayer and meditation practice that I do every day. It totally grounds me. It was something that I didn't have for many years. And it was that really missing piece that I needed to kind of transition into the day, to feel more grounded, to kind of work through stress that I had. And I always like to get in some physical activity earlier in the morning. It might just be, you know, a quick yoga session. It might be a run around the block, just something to kind of get my blood pumping, my energy moving. 
Um, and then the day begins. I got to get my kids ready for school, drop them off, start to see clients. Um, but that early morning time of meditation, prayer, reading, inspirational reading, just a few pages um, is really, really special to me. I love to journal at night before I go to bed. I don't. I oh, feel- good. That was my next question. Your evening <laughs> I, routine. So you can just I go feel- there. I feel too pressured for time in the morning to actively journal, and I love to just kind of go wherever my pen takes me. So in the evening, winding down, I love to write in my journal. If I can have a second meditation period, I do it, but it might be much shorter than the morning one. But those are two crucial pieces of the the evening um, routine. I love what you said there about making sure that you have the time to to journal in the in the evening it's almost easier. I love that. That's a really good good point because I I practice basically the morning pages of, right. you know, kind of spew in the morning and a lot of times my life is, you know, I don't have kids and I'm able to do that, but some mornings I'm not. And I love what you said there about making sure you have the ample time to do that in the evening. That's that's such a great point. So, now for some quick fire questions. You ready for them, Joy? I'm waiting. It's interesting because this this call has been so heavy and um, but so needed, and you're you're such a cool person. But anyways, so we'll have to have you on again for some lighter discussion. But okay. all right. So favorite color, red. Favorite food, broccoli. Favorite veg. Well, you already said that favorite vegetable. Favorite fruit, strawberries. What is one practical self-care action that you take for yourself almost every single day? Meditation. What are you most excited about in your life right now and what's next for you? I'm really excited about conversations like this one and taking the message bigger and broader and really bringing the spiritual piece into it more, being more upfront about it, making it part of our conversation, because I think that is the missing link for so many people is to understand that there is something in this world that can provide them with strength that isn't their own. Yes. Beautiful. What's something that you're doing in your life that you're afraid of, but you're doing anyways? I had a kind of wild instinct when I was in New York in September. I went to Golden Bridge Yoga. I took one kundalini class there, and I signed up for the teacher training. (gasps) Yay! As a mom of two who lives across the country in California, flying back and forth monthly for six months to do this makes no logical sense, but I'm doing it, and it's amazing. It is scary and liberating and thrilling all at the same time. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited and happy for you. I didn't know that. That is so exciting. Yeah, it's amazing. Wahi guru. Wahi guru. (laughs) Favorite yoga pose? Frog. Oh, I love that too. Do you do them in the morning? Yes, I love it so much. I love it too. Ever since I saw Gabby's video, I've been hooked. It's fantastic. You feel like a kid again when you're doing it. I teach it all the time in my yoga classes. I love it. It's fantastic. Um, favorite day of the week? Sunday. Favorite hour of the day? 6 a.m. Favorite way to relax? Watching movies and hugging my kids. Favorite thing to have for breakfast? 
Scrambled eggs. Favorite on-the-go snack? Almonds. If you could have a superhero power for a day, what would it be? It would be to heal anyone who needs healing. Oh, that's beautiful. Best advice you've ever received? Listen to your own heart. Favorite book? A Path with Heart by Jack Cornfield. Favorite movie? You've Got Mail. Oh, I love that movie. <laughs> Me too. Favorite song? Um, well, I sent you a mantra. Oh, yeah. The Delaney mantra, which I would not dare try to pronounce. That <laughs> is one of my favorite songs. But out of like the, the regular I music that we, lis- that we listen to, I love Fast Car by Tracy Chapman. Oh, I love Tracy Chapman so much. They're both so good. Well, I'll have the link to the mantra too because it's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So final question. As you know, the name of this blog and the name of my podcast is The Wellness Wonderland. So when I offer that term to you, Joy, to live in a wellness wonderland, what comes up? What does that mean to you? To me, a wellness wonderland is the idea that each person can do and and be and live according to what they need, that there's no one size fits all for anything. And the idea of a wonderland is everyone gets what they need and they live happily and they live healthily and with joy and with love. So that's my idea of a wellness wonderland. And they live happily ever after. Thank you so much, Joy. This was a really serious, powerful conversation and I'm so glad that we had it. It was amazing. Thank you, Katie. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening and being open to this conversation. Please, please share it with anyone that you think it will help. Thanks for listening. You made it all the way to the end. I'll be back next week, but until then, let's stay inspired and keep this conversation going. So tweet at me, at Katie Dalebout, and our guest with your aha moments from this conversation. And like the Wellness Wonderland on Facebook. So we can all hang out there and discuss how inspired we are and how we'll apply it in our daily lives. And never miss another episode or post from me by signing up for email updates on thewellnesswonderland.com. See you back in Wonderland.